RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Rugby Renegade Podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Michael Macri, sports scientist and head trainer at the South Sydney Rabbitohs in Australia in the NRL. Uh, I've I've been sort of in correspondence with Michael for, well, about a year now uh, and it was great to finally sit down and have a chat with him, uh, talk about his background um, and you know his experiences with the Rabbitohs, obviously had great success there. So uh, give it a listen and I'm sure you'll take a lot from it. Michael, thanks for coming on the Rugby Renegade podcast. Um, uh, always happy to be of service, Jamie. Thanks very much for having me. Our pleasure. Now, uh, why don't we start by, um, obviously you work at the Rabbitohs now, why don't you tell us a bit about your background, how you got into sport and, and the other clubs you've worked with? Well, um, mate, uh, just like anyone else uh, that is you know, having been involved in sport, I always wanted to uh, to work in sport when I was young. Uh, I was actually had a, a swimming background. I grew up um, competing in swimming up until I was 17, 18, doing all the age group stuff um, in a club uh, called Willoughby Leisure Centre, and we competed up until state and national age. And from there, I had the, the passion of wanting to work in swimming. So, luckily enough, my my coach at the time, his name was Graham Brewer. He um, competed at the Moscow Olympics for Australia. So that was already a little bit of a head start. So when I contacted him about um, doing some internship roles, he was like, sweet, I can help you put you in the right direction. Um, there was a, a squad at the time after the Beijing Olympics in 20, uh, 2008, that there was a squad forming in Sydney. So I just contacted the coach, Grant Stallwonder, and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm so-and-so, I want to help out. I'll give up my free time. And it just sort of happened to be very lucky, right time, right place. He said, sweet, come in. And then it was like a domino effect. I got involved with that particular squad, uh, moved into N-Swiss through different camps that took us down to the AIS and you sort of little build your little network there. I got the job at the, at the leisure center where I used to train and was able to refine things there from what I'd learned at um, the New South Wales Institute and the AIS. And then, um, yeah, kept on moving through the ranks there. Um, got exposed to rugby union um, in Australia with the Super 15 competition. That's the top level of rugby union. The level below that in New South Wales is called the Shoot Shield. So there was a number of clubs I contacted did the same thing. Said, hey, can I come in and learn off you? And that was sweet for me to do that. And then moved into rugby league, which was, I guess, more of a passion in team sports. Um, our local club, I live in, on the North Shore. Our local club's the North Sydney Bears which just happened to be the uh, reserve grade feeder club for the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Um, again, progression took me to an internship with the Rabbits and at the end of 2012 got the full-time role as a sports scientist. So it was um, a very much of a, I guess, right time, right place, but at the same time had to prove myself. So I find myself very lucky where I am right now, but definitely very happy because when people... When you're younger, you go, oh, I want to work in sport. It may not necessarily turn out that way. So uh, I can say that I've been able to achieve that. So very exciting for me. Yeah, and, and not only have you worked at some great clubs, but you've always also had uh, a lot of success. Why don't you tell us about the success at Rabbitohs? Well, again, very lucky that I was able to come into the club under um, the coach, Michael Maguire. Prior to that, um, 
the club was sort of underachieving in many aspects. They had a really good squad, but they weren't making the finals. Um, in rugby league in Australia, it, you have to make out of 16 teams, you have to make the top eight to to play in those finals there. And the team just wasn't able to get to that next level of getting into the final. So when Michael Maguire came to the club, he brought with him a lot of staff that he'd worked with in the past that he'd been successful with. And they, they basically changed the culture of the club from one that didn't know how to win or didn't believe in themselves that they could win to one that actually was able to work hard and, and I guess, build that belief that they were worthy enough to be able to win a competition. So it, it wasn't easy to start off with because when you take a particular group that had been together for a long time and try to change those habits and culture straight away, you are going to get a little bit of a pullback. You know, thankfully for, for Michael, he was able to bring his, I guess, stamp on of authority because he had previous success at the Melbourne Storm and, and at the Wigan Warriors. So he was able to send his message through a little bit quicker. And again, it was all about getting that the gel and the mesh within that group. And when we finally came to, at the end of the 2012, and I guess um, there was expectation to make the finals, but I think we overachieved, so, so to speak, and we made the top four and the game before the grand final. And it just really gave the team the belief to say, hey, we are now a top team. So we lost against the Bulldogs in 2012 was a really big sort of learning curve for us. We took that into 2013 and those lessons and we were able to be quite successful. Again, um, there was a bit of a ride. The, the, the club hadn't won a competition for 43 years. So um, the, the motivation from amongst the playing group was we want to be the first team in 43 years or 42 years at that stage to win the competition. So everyone was really buying into that culture and working hard and, Again, the disappointment of not making the grand final in 2013 where we were in a winning position. We ended up losing to Manly um, in the game before the grand final, the prelim there. And from there, you could see a turning point where you had two years in a row that you just missed out on the finals. And the players were like, well, this is now or never. There's only a short window in rugby league in Australia with the salary cap. Um, the more successful you become as a club, as an individual, if you play rep, uh, the higher price value comes up, so the harder it is for the club to um, to keep you. So for us to, to win that championship in, in 2014 was, I guess, a combination of uh, three years of hard work and, and, and really changing the culture of the club to sort of come together and go, hey, you know, this is a proud club to begin with. Let's get it back to its glory days uh, and, and get everyone believing that we can win. So... After, after that championship in 2014, it was just, again, another domino effect. Winning or losing, I, I should say, is very hard to stop, but, but so is winning. When, when you're winning, it, it becomes infectious. So from that, we were able to build up momentum and take it into the next season um, and to where we are today. Um, it's, it's been a really good ride. Yeah, definitely. It's good to hear you talk about the, the importance of the culture as well, because obviously what we do is very important in the you know the sports science and the strength and conditioning. But without having that culture and and the the sort of drive from the coaching team, it, it's you know it's, you're fighting an uphill battle. Um, there's also been um, quite a lot of high profile um, sort of switches of players between codes over time, and sort of one that that you'll have dealt with is Sam Burgess. Um, obviously, he had a 
a bit of a cameo for a year in in uh, Union with Bath and England and probably left a bit too soon really but how's he getting on with you guys now? Yeah mate um, you know, Sammy, he's he, he's a different character he is probably um, the most hard working and passionate sort of player that I've come across with and, and we've got a lot of good players in our team um, you know we've had um, Roy Atatazi, Greg Inglis uh, Michael Crocker we've had uh, all these sort of great players who have um, played for their country and, and for their state and state of origin um, but I, I think Sam would, would top the list there because he is such he's very captivating in terms of how much of a leader he is and he, he will have no reservations to say that he has struggled a little bit this year and he knows that having uh, 12, 16 months out of the game has been a, a big deal for him but um, the moment he came back into the squad he he uh, rolled up his sleeves and he, and he attacked it straight away. So he leads by not only his actions, Sam, but um, definitely is, is very, again, captivating in how he can engage the whole group. So even though he's not the captain of our group, so to speak, um, we've got Greg Inglis as he's a great captain for the club. He is he's almost like a unofficial captain, so to speak. You know, He's uh, one that definitely uh, wants the success to continue at the club and definitely someone that uh, you, you definitely want around in your team. He's one of those players where every team wishes they had. He does amazing things on the field every week, you know, runs, uh, he plays 80 minutes uh, in the forwards, uh, racks up ridiculous numbers and every week you just go, you know, how does he get his body up? How does he get up every week and, you know, plays every game, you know, he just bashes his body. He has no self-preservation there. So, um, again, he is, he's, he's a freak pretty much. I've, I've very much uh, enjoyed having him and, and forming a relationship with him. And, um, yeah, he, he buys into everything that we do. You know, he's very attentive. He asks questions. He always wants to improve. And I find that with the best players in the game, the players that go down in history as some of the best, they're the ones that are not satisfied with what they're currently at. You know, they're always looking to improve. You know, what Sam was and how he played in 2014 is not the way he's playing this year. But in saying that, he wants to improve on 2014. He wants to become a better player. And that's what I find is the reason why he's such a great player himself. Yeah. And, and I'd just like to quickly ask you about uh, Jared Hayne as well. You're talking about freaks. Um, what do you think of his, his move back to the league? Well, again, um, I commend any player that wants to t take up the challenge of leaving a sport that he's played his whole life and, and go overseas to America to, again, chase chase a dream, so to speak, to play in the NFL. Uh, having been around rugby league and been lucky to be around um, a few NFL clubs, knowing how different the two sports are, yes, there are similarities, but the training is vastly different and any skill set is uh, you know hard to, to master. You're learning a completely new game, so I, I find that you know complete respect to him to go over and try. Uh, he may not have given it the due course at what he probably should have. He probably could have tried and stayed in the NFL a little bit longer, but you know good on him for trying. For him to come back to the NRL um, after that again two years out of the game, uh, it will take time for him to to slot right in. Um, 
but but definitely Jared's a great player in his own right, and when he's at his best, he's he's very hard to stop. He's again, he's another another one of those players that you wish he had in his team. Yeah, definitely. Um, now you said you worked in both union and league. What are some of the differences you see between the two players? Um, from yeah, from mine, I think it comes down to the you know the the socio-economic backgrounds of the two sports. I, I'm not too sure of what it's like overseas, but in Australia, uh, rugby league is a very much a, a working-class sort of game. You know, a lot of players have come from uh, fairly rough upbringings, and um, it's completely different, uh, so to speak, in, in rugby union. So I find that the rugby union players, as, as great as they were to work with, they some of them were had a bit of a... I guess uh, a pullback on some of the stuff you did because they knew they had the knowledge, they knew exactly what you were talking about. So they would always, I guess, fight the idea of, okay, let's do this ball. I don't want to do this, so to speak. Whereas um, the rugby league players, they're, they're more open to sort of listening. And then once you give them their opinion, your opinion on why you're doing it, they will judge for themselves. Yes or no. So, I find rather than when you take an athlete for them to straight away not take into account what you're teaching them and just sort of saying yes or no straight away, which in, in union I found to be more than the no. It was sort of like, oh, I know what I'm doing, so I don't need your help. Whereas uh, rugby league players that I've worked with are um, completely different. They go in with an open mind. Now, that's just my experience. I'm not saying that's all union players and that's not all rugby league players, but for the competitions and the teams that I've worked in, that was the, the big difference for me. And being a, uh, a youngster going into that area, having difficulties with those union players as opposed to the league players, um, it was a big, big eye-opener. But um, if I had the opportunity to work in union, definitely would take it because, again, those, those players were great to work with too. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's just from my own personal experience there. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, there's a, a huge um, sort of running element to, to rugby in both codes. Now, what are some of the strategies you use at the Rabbitohs to maintain like the strength and power? Um, so so with, uh, we, we've got sort of different days that we have a, a different base on what we're doing things. So three days out from a game is the majority of our power day. So we do a lot more of our explosive speed, uh, repeated sprint ability speed on those um, days that are three days out from a game. Um, generally with days that are a bit further out, we do like to do a lot of stuff from up and down off the ground. So not necessarily um, a game specific, it's pure conditioning, so to speak. And then we've been able to educate the coaches to be able to go, okay, we know the intensity of a, uh, a rugby league match, which is generally between 100 and 120 metres per minute. So we're able to tailor drills with the help of the coaches to be able to hit that game-specific speed, so to speak, or that game-specific intensity. So it's been a really big sort of learning curve for myself and the other strength and conditioning coaches to be able to take essentially an, old, an older school-type um, staff and be able to say, well, what are the um the things in in rugby league that you need to work on you know doing a lot of long slow stuff as a lot of a lot of clubs do um it's not going to really be helpful to achieving your goals in rugby league so 
how often in a game of rugby league you're running for more than 10 seconds at a time. So um, you just sort of need to tailor that conditioning or tailor that strength and power to what you're doing on the field. And aside from all that pure conditioning and game specific stuff, we also do a lot of um, uh, wrestle technique in in the gym as well. So it's all about that contact as well. So yes, in in a game of rugby league or when you you know you have that specific contact that you're not going to get in training. So to be able to have the techniques in the gym with the boys um, and showing them how you want to do certain tackles, uh, again, is, is very beneficial to being able to achieve what you want on game day. Because as much as you want to train, as hard as you can train, you're not going to replicate anything that you can on the, on the weekend. So um, it, it really sort of is how far can we push the envelope, so to speak, during training without actually pushing it over the edge. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the wrestling because I think that's something in in union we don't well we underutilize, um, and having been to a few league clubs and I say they do do a lot of wrestling, they do a lot more sort of hand eye uh, coordination and skill than we do, and that's something we're we're trying to remedy. Um, and, and obviously, wrestling has so many carryovers to to both codes. I think that's something we can improve upon. Now, this is a question we ask um, all our guests on the podcast. Um, what is the biggest mistake that rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Oh, um, biggest mistake, eh? Um, I think it, for them, it's that they're, I guess, for us, in terms of when we go into the gym, there's a lot of players that uh, it's, it's, it's all in their recovery. Um, the, the amount that they're stretching and, and looking after their bodies there, um, I find that those those players there um, that don't utilize and don't take respect of that recovery methods, they they don't realize just how much of an effect that can have into, I guess the you know everything that they do in training and on the field. Um, we have to have to educate these players that yes, essentially you are rugby league players and. If we had the opportunity to just play the game, then you would do that. But in order to be good rugby league players, you need to go through all these steps. Get into the gym, do your strength training, but part of that is doing your recovery. So a lot of them get a little bit too eager. They like to get in and out and not take into account that they've got to look after their bodies. Um, And on top of that, also, I guess you'd mix in that within nutrition as well. Um, They find that, yes, strength and conditioning, that sort of side of things, it's important, but it has to be, I guess, linked to all the other auxiliary stuff. Like I said, your, your recovery, your nutrition, they all have a factor in being able to improve what you want to improve in the gym or improve what you want to improve in, uh, out in the field. So I think those two are the big aspects, education on recovery and education on nutrition and actually telling those players, if you do that right, then you'll be able to achieve what you want to achieve in the gym and achieve what you want to achieve on the field there. Yeah, definitely. I think some players, because most of them love what we do in the gym, sometimes they don't they don't even need to understand the why. They just get in and tear into it and, and love it. But you're right, it's the education around the other things that's important. Um, so uh, another question we seem to ask a lot now because uh, a lot of our listeners uh, are sort of budding S&C coaches. What advice would you give to a, an upcoming S&C coach? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot too. And again, um, it, it mostly comes down to those people asking me that have come straight out from uni. Um, when I was first starting out, I did a level one strength and conditioning um, course. 
And I ask basically, I'm pretty straightforward with my, uh, my, my how I go about things. I just said, how do I get a job in this industry? It's so hard. You've got, um, you know, 10,000 students, so to speak, and you've only got about 100 jobs in Australia. What is uh, you know, the best way that I can go about doing things to get a job? And the response was, and I've taken this to heart uh, going on through my career, is that it's all about being able to show people that you're willing to give your time learning without any expectation of a job. A lot of people come out of uni or a lot of people that's starting out want to jump into a role straight away, get paid and work with the best teams, but not necessarily works that way. Um, for mine, if you're able to get into a club that is, I guess, semi-professional or amateur or whatnot, and you be the strength and conditioning coach for that club because you'll have the ability to not only just be the strength coach, because you haven't got a lot of staff, you'll also be the nutritionist or the psychologist or you'll be the strapper, you'll be you know, the, the father figure or the brother or something like that. And you've got all these different um, sort of strings to your bow that you're learning. And then when you go into a professional organization, you've got all your different skill sets. The higher up you go in a professional organization, the more specialized the role becomes, you know. So when I was at the Bears, I was all of those things because we only had two people and uh, two strength and conditioning coaches and um and the, the three footy coaches, you know what I mean? So we had no choice but to be able to have to do all those sort of things. Um, nowadays, you go into a professional AFL club or an EPL club and you know you don't find strength and conditioning coaches anymore. You, you might have a strength coach, a conditioning coach, a power coach. So that sort of niche has been split up. So I, I, I find that uh, if you can go and learn as much as you can in those lower grades where you have – no technology available to you. You have to think outside the square with the little that you have. For mine, that will hold you in good stead moving forward. Yeah, definitely. There's there's no substitute for experience, is there? And uh, I look back on my time when, when I was at Bedford and we were a part-time club and uh, there was only two sort of full-time members of staff, really, and that was the director of rugby and me. So the other thing is you get real good relationship with them and, and relationships with coaches is one of the most important things. Um for you moving forward you know if you've got a really good program if if the coach doesn't buy into it and help you deliver it then you know again you're fighting a losing battle so yeah great advice uh, and lastly michael um where can people uh, learn more about yourself um well to be honest mate i don't really have uh i'm not one of those people that is very uh social media savvy um i like to to keep myself i do i do love to to share and um i'm always Happy to, to talk to everyone. I've, I've got a, a Twitter account. It's just uh, um, Michael.Macri there on, on Twitter. But other than that, um, you can reach me on uh, Michael.Macri at Outlook.com. Uh, that's my personal email. Every, you're all welcome to, to send me emails and just ask me questions. But um, again, uh, there's there's no blog or anything like that, although that's in that's in the works, i got to say. Um but, uh, but yeah, me and social media, we don't we don't go very good together. So um, <laughs> uh, so feel free to flick me an email, boys and um, and ladies, and I'm uh, happy to answer your questions. That's great. We'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes for your Twitter and your your email, so people can get in touch with you. Um, Michael, so how, how many games you got left uh, this season? Yeah, we got uh, four games uh, remaining. We fly over to Auckland on uh, or this week for this week's game against the uh, New Zealand Warriors so that should be uh, 
a very good game. We we came off a, a close loss against uh, Melbourne Storm, who are top of the table at the moment. Um, we lost in Golden Point. But uh, that was a great performance by the boys. Uh, we've, we've had a difficult year, and uh, the boys have worked really, really hard not getting the results that they're after, but, uh, but definitely a great performance against the Melbourne Storm. So we look forward to uh, getting a win over there in, uh, in New Zealand. So looking forward to it. Yeah, we wish you all, all the best over in New Zealand and, and for the rest of the season. And uh, thanks again for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, thanks very much, Jamie, for uh, bringing me on board. Uh, and also, yeah, great having a chat. Cheers, Michael. So there you go. Thanks, Michael, for talking with us and uh, giving that you know really interesting insight into the hard work that went behind the, the Rabito success of the last few years. Um, and then... To you guys listening, uh, if you've ever got any questions you want us to put to our guests on the podcast, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us on uh, social media or email. Um, We're always open for suggestions and uh, we really want to improve the podcast so you get as much out of it as possible. Uh, Of course, give us a a great review and subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher and uh, look out for more podcasts to come. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.